0: Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not say, begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Did you shovel yesterday? Did you get your workout in? I uh, I got done shoveling, and I thought, gosh, I, I'm tired. And that's because I turned 38 this week. And that... Oh, my goodness. No, I've, I did not say that so that I could get a round of applause. If anything, I, I say that so that you think less of me. The... No, but you're you're 38 and shoveling feels difficult. Feels difficult. Well, today we are continuing a series that we started last week that's simply titled Simplicity. Uh, If you were with us last Sunday, we talked about uh, the simple spirituality of Jesus, how Jesus primarily invites us into this simple focus of loving God and loving people, and how our hearts need to be focused on that reality, and how everything we do, all of our lives, our walk with Jesus, kind of all funnel down to those two through-going realities of loving God and loving our neighbor. But this week, we're talking about the idea of simplicity, simplicity in our materialistic world, and this one is a doozy. It's a doozy. I can tell you that this is challenging. It is, right? It's challenging for me. Personally, because it is, there is very little in the teachings of the New Testament that is more confrontational to the way that modern Americans live our lives than the through-going kind of constant drumbeat of the Scriptures, which is that the relationship of Christians or followers of Jesus to our material possessions has a deep and spiritual significance. This is all over the Scriptures. And there has never been a time in history uh, in which there has been a culture, and I feel totally... I don't, I don't often like to speak in absolutes. You know, I like to qualify things, but I feel no need to qualify this. There has never been a time in the world in which there has been a more materialistic culture than ours. Right? We swim in a materialistic world. And we simply can't deny the fact that it has negative ramifications for our hearts and for the message of Jesus. Now, this idea that the materialism of our time is harming us is so prevalent and it's so honestly on-the-face apparent that there are many people who aren't even Christians that have begun addressing it out in culture. More more and more people are coming to the realization that an overabundance of things has led to a kind of enslavement of ourselves and and an enslavement to things. There is, in culture, a, a new simplicity movement popping up. There are people, not even Christian people, popping up who are making the argument that we ought to live more simplistic or minimalistic lives. There's a podcast that's called The Minimalists. They're all over social media and stuff. They have a tagline, and they say, uh, love people and use stuff, which I think is a pretty good general tagline for someone's life. They have uh, this this group, they call themselves the minimalists, have a 30-day minimalist game or challenge that is meant to help people live more simply, right? They invite people into a little bit of an experiment or a game of learning to live more simply, of detoxing from our addiction to over an overabundance of things, right? This is what they're inviting to you to but it's not just them, right? A few years ago, there was a craze on Netflix. If any of you watch Netflix, um, there was a, there's a woman. Her name is Marie Kondo, uh, who was all the rage. Marie is an organizational consultant, which means that we have so much stuff that we now need to hire people to help us organize it. Uh, and her tagline, her big idea, was that if something doesn't bring you joy, you need to get rid of it, Right? And her influence is so significant that her name, Marie Kondo, has been turned into a verb. As in, everyone, get out of the kitchen. Dad is about to Marie Kondo this place, right? Which basically means I'm going to strip it of everything and clean it down to its very bones. But these are basically non-Christian voices who are putting the finger on something that is apparent to anybody who's paying attention in our time. We have too much stuff. And our materialism is so prevalent that it is harming our souls. And so it's important that we open our ears this morning and we open our hearts. Because Christians have been sounding this bell, this bell of materialism and the harm that materialism can have on our soul and on the world for quite some time. You would think that it would have just been within the last 120 years since the Industrial Revolution and the invention of the iPhone that we would be talking about this, right? When uh, we started really living in a consumerist society. Do you know that when the Founding Fathers wrote the documents, the the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, there was no such thing as a corporation? Isn't that fascinating? They did not have a conception in their minds of what a corporation was. There was like the East India Trading Company, but there was no uh, conglomeration of businesses called a corporation whose sole job in the world is just to create a bunch of superfluous stuff and pump it into our homes, right? But even given the fact that uh, in the last 120 years, the materialism of our world has cranked up quite a bit. Christians from the earliest historical record have embraced a way of life that looked different than their surrounding culture in regards to the way they dealt with their possessions and their material goods. And the primary way we know about this is uh, is that the early Christians chose to leverage their material goods and their possessions to care for the needs of those around them, rather than just hoarding them for themselves. Because if you're going to be caring for the needs of those around you, you're going to treat uh, treat the stuff that you own differently than if you're not going to leverage that your material goods on behalf of other people. You see, not clinging so tightly to your possessions and to your money is the best way in our culture, and in every culture that's ever existed, of serving other people, right? And this is what the early church did. Historians tell us that by the year 250, the Christian church in Rome, just the proper city of Rome, cared for on, the, on, on a routine basis fifth, at no less than 1,500 needy people. So we just know this from, from, the, from history, from recorded history. Around the fourth century, there was a vocal opponent of the church. This guy's name was Julian the Apostate. Don't ever uh, ascribe to want to get that title. He was called the Apostate because he denied the Christian faith and instead went back and tried to establish the worship of the Roman pantheon of gods. Now, Julian, being a vocal uh, a, in vocal opposition to the church, said this about the church. Now, in this... Um, In this little quote, he calls Christians Galileans because they follow Jesus, who is the Galilean, and he calls Christians godless because they don't worship uh, the pantheon of Roman gods, all right? So just so you understand where he's coming from. And he says of the church, those godless Galileans fed not only their poor, but ours also. (laughs) Those Those godless Galileans fed not only their poor, but ours also which, you know, when a guy hates you and he's saying that type of thing about you, it has to be true, right? It has to be true. But this is not, uh, this is not the extent of it, even. This is the one that really got me in my study for this week. The Greek author and historian Aristotles, in the year 125, so just a generation and a half after the apostles, wrote this about Christians, and now pay attention to this, I believe it's going to be up on the screen, and if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. That's, that's a little convicting, isn't it? Well, just a little bit. These early Christians were not rich, right? They did not have an overabundance. They had just enough for that day. And yet, In order to give to someone who had nothing, they were willing to choose to go without in order that someone may be provided for. Crazy, right? When's the last time you skipped a meal, let alone three days' worth of them, in order to provide for someone else who had less than you? And finally, here we go. Here's the kicker in the book of Acts. Acts 2.4. It beginning, in ver- or not 2-4, beginning in verse, not two four two forty four. Beginning in verse forty four, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, it's clear. It's, clear, it's crystal clear from the history of the early church that from, uh, and from the record of the first Christians in the book of Acts, right? From the Bible and from history that followers of Jesus are called to look different than the surrounding culture in the way that they relate to uh, or we relate to our material possessions and in the way we serve those in need. We are called to look and act different. And this is made abundantly clear also in our teaching text for today out of Luke chapter 2. Luke tells us about John the Baptist. Now John in this passage is out in the desert and he is preparing the way for Jesus. And the way that John goes about preparing the way for Jesus is he is calling the Jewish people of his day to repentance. Basically what he is doing is is inviting them out to the wilderness to repent of the ways in which they haven't lived faithfully to, uh, to God and be baptized as a sign or a symbol of that repentance in order to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. This is what John is doing. You see, he, John wanted the people to be ready And John's movement, and we mentioned this uh, during Christmas, but John's movement was big. In many ways, in Jesus' day, John's movement was bigger than Jesus' movement. But John has all of these people coming out to be baptized by him. They're all moved by his message. And he sees them coming out. He sees all of this, this crowd of Jewish people who are coming out to be baptized and to hear his message. And you know what he does? He says, you brood of vipers. It's a great strategy if you want to gather a crowd. It's excellent. Maybe I should start doing it. Uh, he, has some, he has some big criticisms for these Jewish people coming out to be baptized. Because, uh, because, he says, they have not been bearing fruit in keeping with righteousness. Now, keep that phrase in mind, bearing fruit in keeping with righteousness, and they, in response to his criticism, don't say, oh, John, we're leaving. Thanks for calling me a viper. I'm out of here. They say, what do we got to do then, John? How do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And, and, and that John answers this group. The first group he answers in verse 11, and he says this, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So, if you have an overabundance, which in John's mind, an overabundance of shirts is two shirts or cloaks, and an overabundance of food is more food than you need for that day. That's abundance in John's mind in this passage, then you should give the abundance away, right? It's pretty clear. This is what John says. So if you have uh, so if you have more than you need, in a given moment, the extra goes to somebody else. Pretty radical, right? Not the, way, not the way we often think in our culture. But so this is what John says to this first group. But then another group comes to John, and these are the tax collectors. And we've talked a little bit before at church about how people felt about tax collectors. Tax collectors were bad dudes, all right? They were not allowed to worship God in the temple. They were the type of people who you would assume would need to repent because they were about, um, they, were like, they were like IRS agents who held people at gunpoint, right? This is, not a, this is not a group of people that you want to spend a lot of time with. And to them, they ask, how do we do this, right? And he says, don't collect any more than you are required to, right? So they say, how do we, how do we bear fruit in keeping with the repentance that you're talking about, John? And he says, don't collect any more than you are required to in verse 13, meaning don't be greedy, right? And don't line your pockets by taking more than you should from the people who you are imposing taxes on. So this is what he says to the tax collectors. And then, the text tells us, probably even more shocking than the fact that tax collectors came out to see him, soldiers came out to see him. Now, we don't know what type of soldiers these were, whether they were Jew- soldiers in the Jewish army, which was, is unlikely because the Romans didn't really allow uh, the Jews to have soldiers. So what most likely, what is being talked about here is Roman soldiers, which is fascinating, isn't it? And what does he say to the Roman soldiers? In verse 14, he says this, don't extort money and don't, excuse peop- uh, don't accuse people falsely. Rather, be content with what the Roman government pays you, right? Be content with your pay. Basically, he says, be content with what you have and don't mistreat people in order to get more, right? So you see, for John, the fruit in keeping with the repentance that he is preaching is this, simplicity generosity, and contentment. The natural fruit, the ramifications of a life that is repentant before God is that we live simply, we live generously, and we are content with what we have. Right? Right. Correct, Nick. For those who are truly repentant, the fruit that their lives should produce should look like that, should look like what, Paul, what John is talking about there, so first what happens, right, if you, if you just want to talk about the order that, that John is expressing here, first there is an inward transformation, right? There is, a, there is a repentance, and then that, that one's outward lifestyle is affected because of this inward change. A lifestyle of generosity and of financial commitment and simplicity for John is a fruit of... I would go so far as to say John is in a sense saying these are fruits of the Spirit. I would add them, you know, if you want to add them to to the list that Paul gives us. And here is the truth, all right? Our material world is always discipling our hearts away from the fruit that John is talking about here. The material world we live in the materialism that we swim in is always, always, always discipling us away from the fruit of repentance that John asks of his audience here. Our culture is always telling us, constantly, especially on commercials, any ad that's trying to sell anything, just the, the way in which our neighbors live, that we are always being told that in order to be happy, what we need is more. Right, What we need is more stuff. What we need is more money. What we need is uh, more of everything. And that's not true. More money uh, and more stuff does not make us happy. It will not. The wisdom of the kingdom runs counter, totally counter, to this message that culture is always communicating to us, and instead teaches us that to live open, free, and abundant kingdom lives dedicated to Jesus, lives that bear the fruit of repentance, what we need to learn to do is to live simply in our materialistic world. This is what we need to learn to do, to live generous and contented lives, And this material simplicity, this generosity, and this contentment then has a powerful effect on our hearts and minds. I mentioned earlier in the message that there are even secular voices coming to the table and saying, this materialism is ruining us on the inside, right? And it is. You see, when we are always striving for more, when we are always filling our lives with more material goods, right? We, we are trying to fill an emotional hole. People who have, you know this, right? People who have too much stuff very often are doing it because they're trying to fill an, a place emotionally that, that they think the stuff will fill, but it never ends up filling it. Instead, contentment and simplicity are a way of taking a different posture and of making ourselves available to the truth that what we need in this world... It's not more stuff, but more of the Spirit of God. This is how the pastor, Todd Hunter, says it. He says, contentment and peace work together to strengthen each other. The more content one is with what they have in goods and control, notice he mentions control as well, the more peace-filled they are. The more peaceful one is within themselves, the more content they tend to be when it comes to the things of this earth. Contentment comes from within not from circumstances, and I would say not from things, right? It is a posture of the heart at rest in humility. So do you have, here's just a a question, do you have a desire for more things? All of us do, I think. All of us have been preconditioned by our world to believe that more things are going to make us happy, that more stuff and more security is going to make us, is going to bring us more joy. But the truth of the matter is is that that is not true. And that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to live like these early Christians lived. And we need to learn to live uh, simple, generous, and contented lives. Lives that bless those around us. Now, I know this is not easy. And there is not a one-size-fits-all Here's how much stuff you should own. Here's how much stuff you should own. Here's how much you should give away. Here's how much you should give away formula. If there was a formula, it would be religion, and we would turn it into this earning thing, and it wouldn't be, right? It wouldn't be what it means to be a Christian. Each of us has to ask before God in humility our own questions about this. But the truth of the matter is we do need to practice simplicity in our own lives. We do need to come before God humbly and say, what, what part, where in my life am I too attached to things, and where do you want me to loosen my grip? Or where in my life am I too tied to my own, my own money or my own resources, and where do you want to free up some of those resources to bless other people? We should all be asking this question. Actually, we should be asking this question regularly as a spiritual discipline of simplicity, of Simplicity. So the question is, how do we begin this process? How do we learn to live simply in a materialistic world? It's quite clear from the scriptures, from what John says here, from all over the New Testament, from what Jesus says all throughout the Gospels, that simplicity of life is a kingdom virtue. How do we then begin to live more simply? How do we begin to kind of cut the excess out of our lives so that we can bless those around us? And so that we can invest our resources in the kingdom of God. Well, I would suggest, and this is just a suggestion, that you do a series of simplicity experiments. Simplicity experiments. Uh, I'm reminded of a book that was written a number of years ago. And in this author, this the book is called Seven, I believe. And in this book, this author took seven months and identified seven areas of excess in her life and then tried month after month to pick one of those areas and simplify her life. I think one, one month she picked clothing and she picked seven things to wear, seven outfits. And for a month, she only wore those seven outfits as a means of practicing simplicity. Another month, I think she was trying to simplify the way she ate. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look in my refrigerator. And I, or I realized at the end of a week how much we had thrown out, and I realized, oh, gosh, i got to simplify the way I eat, right? I think one month she just chose seven foods, like spinach, bananas, <laughs> bread, and only ate seven foods for a month, not as a religious exercise, but as, as, as an experiment of figuring out where is the margin in my life, and what can I cut out, and how can I step into a more simple way of living? You see, that we should do, be doing some I- simplicity experiments. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you just notice that you go to Starbucks or Dunkin' a little bit too much, and as a simplicity experiment for a month, you're, you're just gonna go once a week instead of five, right? And you're gonna take that resource that you would've put to that, and you're just gonna make coffee at home, and then you're gonna take the resource that you spent on that, and you're gonna give it to somebody in need right? That's a simplicity experiment that we can all practice. Maybe you come to realize that there is some material thing that you own that you put too much energy and stock in. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's a boat. Maybe it's your clothing. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're just a big fan of, what are those little tchotchkes, sacred moments? I don't know. My grandma had them in a, in a glass case. I don't know what it is, and you realize, man, I'm putting too much stock in these. Not that the material thing in and of themselves are bad, but that the, the energy and the, uh, the, the stock that I'm putting in these is too much, and that you need to practice decluttering your life a little bit. Maybe the area of excess for you is food or technology, and you need to do a series of experiments. Maybe, we're going to talk about this in another week, but maybe it's this thing, Right? Maybe this is cluttering your life in a, in a sense, and you need to do some, some holy experiments to learn to cut that thing out of your life and to realize that you have too much stuff, that you and I, both of us, are too materialistic, and we need to learn to cut some of these things out of our lives. You know, one of the things that, the, that early Christians realized around the, the 300s, the, the 300s, See, around the 300, something really profound happened to the early church. And that profound thing that happened was that the Roman, uh, Roman culture became Christian. Constantine, if you, know this, if you know your Greek and Roman history, Constantine converted to Christianity. And he declared that, that day that the whole of the Roman Empire was Christian, which was not true, but he was, the, he was Caesar. And so he could declare it. And at, and at that moment, immediately, excuse me, persecution stopped and persecution for the, for the for the Christian church was was an engine that kept them faithful to God and as soon as the persecution stopped and everyone in Rome was declared a Christian many Christians in in Roman society began to think hey Roman society ain't bad at all so i'm just going to climb the social ladder i'm just going to try to big b- Build myself a big villa and kind of incorporate myself into Roman society in such a way as that I can grow healthy, wealthy, and wise, or whatever it is, you know. And a movement began to spring up amongst Christians, realizing that the lack of persecution had had, um, in some sense, for these early Christians, made them grow soft. And all these Christians, and many of these Christians, began to go to the desert then. And they, they lived out their lives in prayer in the desert as a means of weaning themselves off the materialism of Roman society. Fascinating, isn't it? Because they believed that that, that that materialism of that society was detrimental to their souls. We live in a time far more materialistic and far more detrimental to our souls, maybe not far more detrimental to our souls, but far more materialistic than, the, than Roman society. Like, they had running water, but that was about it, right? And we need to take concrete steps towards simplicity and towards generosity. So part of the way we do this, part of the way we do this is by going to the desert, right? So I hope that you all build little ice huts out back in the church and you live in there and you pray. But... um, (laughs) I will, or you built, what's that called, an igloo? Not an ice hut, an igloo. But part of the way we do this is we, by choosing generosity rather than consumption. By choosing generosity rather than con, consumption. By choosing generosity rather than consumption, we make, uh, we leverage our material benefit for, on the sake of others, right? We turn our material benefit into a spiritual benefit for you and for another person right? This is how you, when you choose generosity rather than consumption, there's a double blessing. There's the blessing of the person who receives that resource, and there's a blessing for your own soul, for your own heart and mind. You see, at Grace Community, we have several opportunities for you to give. We're going to be, uh, in this spring, we're going to be emphasizing our missions program at Grace a little bit more fully. We have a number of missionaries all throughout the world who are doing kingdom work, and we want to make you more aware of those things. That when you, when you choose generosity to the work of the kingdom around the world through missions, you're choosing very often to not consume something in order to give that away in generosity. You're choosing to simplify your own life so that you can live a generous life towards the nations. This is a good thing. Another opportunity, a a ministry partner we have at church is Caden's Closet. Caden's Closet is always in need of underwear, socks, uh, and kids' pajamas. So, here's a great opportunity for you. Don't buy any more underwear. No, uh, sorry. (laughs) I had to. Uh, Whenever you're out and about buying the essentials for yourself, what if you lived generously in that moment? And when you were buying your own kids PJs or whatever, you remembered that we have a partner organization with our church who serves kids who don't have enough socks and PJs and underwear for themselves. And along with what you get for your kid, you get something for another kid, right? And maybe that means you don't grab a grande flat white on your way out of Target. That's me. That's my drink, okay? If anybody's at Starbucks this afternoon and wants to bring Pastor a drink, ground a flat white, yeah. right? Maybe that's what that means. But think of, think of the response from your soul and the benefit to another, the double blessing for your own heart, right, of stepping into the place of simplicity and the blessing for another when you, you bless them materially, somebody who doesn't have enough. You see, if the church in America convinced of this band if you come up if the church in america is going to represent the kingdom of god into the next uh, 100 years we are going to have to learn how to live radically different radically different than the surrounding cultures uh, that we live in that we live in and i'm not talking about like new york and la i'm talking about just Your average American town that sees material goods as a means of making myself feel good and in a sense, let's just go all the way, as a means of my salvation, right? I heard a comedian say one time, uh, they say that money doesn't make you happy, but you know what money buys? Uh, A jet ski, and has anybody ever been unhappy on a jet ski? And there's some truth to that. I've never been unhappy on a jet ski. But there's a belief in our culture, right? There's a belief in our culture that that's true. And that through the acquisition of things, I can make my heart happy. Or that I could save myself. And it's just simply not possible. We, as followers of Jesus, need to devote ourselves to a different way of living. A way of living in which we follow Jesus, where we live simply in our cluttered and materialistic world, and a way of living where we bless the, the, those in need. We bless the less fortunate. We those, we bless those who do not have with what we have. And occasionally, it's going to bite. Part of, part of the difficulty of this practice of learning simplicity is that it's not easy because we have conditioned ourselves to love these things, right? We've conditioned ourselves to need these creature comforts. But in the giving up of these things, it's not about earning God's favor, but it is about learning how to free our own hearts from their slavery to stuff and learning how to live beautiful, generous, God-honoring lives in the way that we leverage our material blessing for the sake of other people. Amen? Amen. And so in this song, Be Thou My Vision, There's a line, isn't there? There's a line about how we are called, that we find our treasure, not in the things of this earth, but in God, God's self. And so we wanted to sing it one more time, kind of as a prayer and a confession this morning. Maybe we just, maybe we can just wake up our hearts just a little bit to remind ourselves that we don't find our treasure in things of this world we don't find our treasure in material goods though they're not inherently bad right you wearing a pair of shoes is not an inherently bad thing but that we know, we know that our hearts don't cling to those things as a means of making us ultimately happy amen amen would you stand with us and we'll sing this song as a response to God and we'll open ourselves and as we sing this morning just ask yourself the question in the quietness of your heart ask yourself the question, where is God maybe asking you and me to simplify in order that we might be a blessing to others? Alright? Alright. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have loved things too much and not loved you enough. And so today we pray, God, that you would point out to us, that you would put your finger on those those ways in which you're calling us away from the materialism of our culture and calling us to take steps closer to your heart, to your kingdom. Father, I pray that this week, this week, you would give each of us a divine appointment to communicate your love to someone else by virtue of the way that we can care for them whether that's with our time or with our words or with our material resource would you help us would you help us god to communicate your love and your grace would we care for those in need around us and would we use would you free up the resource that you have given us to bless and serve others jesus we're so thankful that you've called us and that you've saved us. And as we go from this place today, would you help us to walk in that reality? And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen, and amen, and amen. All right, all right. Praise God. Amen, amen. Would you go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.